Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley. SAB the CV. Copyright 2024. Proximo. Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. For those of you who do not know, Renee Montgomery is fascinating for a lot of different reasons, and her journey has been unusual. She is a WNBA champion. She's a WNBA all-star. She's a collegiate champion, but I don't think basketball is the most interesting thing about her. And so I want you to know that the people who are joining Metal Arc Media are people who matter to us for a lot of different reasons and people whose work and power we want to support. And Renee Montgomery's journey has been from athlete to athlete who opts out as America is changing, as Georgia and Atlanta are at the forefront of influencing what has happened in America after four years of turmoil. And Renee Montgomery went from champion and all-star to someone who opted out because she needed to be part of the social activism that changed Atlanta and Georgia. And now she's a minority owner in the Atlanta Dream, the team that was at the center of many of these politicized controversies and race-related controversies. And now she is also a member of Metal Lark Media. She has a lot of range. She does basketball with Vince Carter and Dominique Wilkins in the Atlanta Hawks broadcast. And I am thrilled to bring her as part of our radio team and to Metal Arc Media as a new addition. I want you to get to know her. This is a woman I really admire. So let's get to know Renee Montgomery together. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The parts of your story that you find most responsible for shaping you, whether it's in childhood or in adulthood, where are the places that you look and say, these are the things that most made me who I am? It's not even necessarily for me that sports stifle me. It's just like when I'm like focused and I'm locked in on something, I'm locked in on that. So I always knew that entertainment was going to come. But basketball sports, you only can play for a certain amount of time. Like father time is undefeated. And so I knew that I had a window with sports. And like I said, I'm very goal driven. So if I'm trying to win a championship, that's it. Like I'm trying to win a championship. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be, though? Yeah, when I was a kid, I would say the WNBA started when I was 10 years old. So I was already like for me, I was looking for how can I do something big? Like and I was even thinking this as a kid, like so you should talk to Snook and Diddy if you want. But I was already thinking, like, how can I get from small town to big town? And so I started to play basketball at five and I fell in love with it. And by 10, I was already on the AAU circuits and starting to play 
a little bit. I wasn't really good when I first started, but I just kept working at it. And then when I was 10, I saw that the WNBA became a thing. And so I'm like, man, like I wanted to, my whole goal in the beginning was to be a D1 athlete. So a lot of times, you know, we didn't have the WNBA when I very, very first started dreaming. So my dream was just to go to a D1 school and live out that type of life. Um, I knew, I always, like I said, I always knew I was going to be an entertainer, but I had to figure out an avenue to what am I going to do? And I started playing basketball and it took me all over. I remember, I think my second year, actually my first year when I got to the um, pros, I started working with ESPN and I started just calling some games of teams like schools. I didn't even know how to pronounce their names. Like I wasn't getting good games at all, but I, I, I kind of knew that that was something there, but I again, just locked in on sports. So it started out by me just wanting to get out of the small town and, and go big. How and why did you become goal-driven? Who's responsible for that? Oh, my parents. Um, so my my parents, my mom is an educator. So she's a college professor for 30 plus years. So she literally had a class called College 101 where she taught students how to focus in, I guess, on what you, you're passionate about, like the steps that you need to take and what you need to do, resume building, different things like that. And so she did that her whole life. And so imagine her, she's also has a, she has a lot of different degrees, but she's a psychologist, psychology degree as well. And so she kind of molded us to, to what she wanted us to be. My sister, I remember my sister being young and saying like, I want to be a doctor. And then my parents was like, well, you're going to be a doctor. Then you need to be like this and this, you need to get a 4.0 GPA. And they just would tell us those type of things. And my sister is a doctor. So I don't think it's a coincidence that like what we wanted to be when we were young, we all ended up becoming um, because our my, our parents just like systematically helped us get there. How much discipline was there within that and how did it mix with support? Because it sounds like you have to have both of those. Oh, yeah, the discipline. So that's 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 my ditty on that side, because they got to know that you really want it. And so every day we didn't even have a basketball goal up at my house at, in the beginning, but every day I would be out there like just doing dribble drills by myself. And my dad would watch me and he'd be like, okay, okay. And then every day after work, I would be, after he got off of work, I would time it so that I was out there and I knew he would help me and work with me. And then after doing that for a few months, he built me a goal at our house. And so I just, I just did it every day and every day he got home from work. And now that I like I'm a working human, it's kind of crazy to think about how every day after he got off of work, he would be outside working with me because I know like now being an adult, I know he was probably exhausted, tired. Um, but yeah, that was the discipline. It was the, for me, I knew I didn't have a lot of room for air. I think that's kind of what built discipline in on me because it wasn't like I was tall ever in my life. I was always smaller in relation to the other athletes. Um, and I knew I was in West Virginia. So I always used to be like, how are the coaches going to find me here? I got to do something big. Like I got to be great. And so that's kind of was how, what drove me. What are the family stories in your childhood about Renee being built differently in terms of five years old, she wanted this, or she's telling us, no, I want to be big city girl. I don't want to be a small city girl. At a young age, 12 and under, we started touring the country. When I say touring the country, we were going on AU trips as a family. So around age 12, we had no more family vacations. We had trips for AAU for me. That was kind of what our family vacation was. And basically the whole family bought in. My sisters didn't mind it. They were just kind of down for it. But for me, I think that that, that put like, it didn't put pressure on me. I put pressure on myself because I'm like, this is crazy that 
everything is pretty much about me and my family when it came to our family vacation. So I wanted to make sure that it was the right thing, you know? And so I think that that started my, I felt responsible in a sense of like, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to be successful because look at what they're doing. I, I, that would be like kind of how it all was built for me. What do you regard as the greatest obstacles or challenges or difficulties along the path that became impediments to you getting toward where your goal was because you've been all over the world and yeah. it's hard to get to the top of any kind of sport. It's hard to get to the top of that sport, but then that sport has so many difficulties in terms of, even if you're great, you got to leave this country in order to get paid yeah. for it. it. No, it's crazy because a lot of people don't know that, you know, the WNBA is a five and a half, six month season in the summertime. And then most, I would say 90% of WNBA players, and it's not just, it's like the good players as well as the players that like maybe don't get in the game. They, everyone's going overseas because that's where you make your real money. Some of the salaries overseas are quadruple the amount that we make in the WNBA. And so it's, it's a difficult lifestyle. Imagine graduating from college and then going to live overseas for six months by yourself. You know, like that's that's a very normal reality in the WNBA. And so I like for me, I think growing up in West Virginia, going to school in stores helped me in that aspect because I was used to not having a lot of entertainment around me. You know, I was used to being able to entertain myself. Um, I'm country. So that that was something that I think helped me. But a lot of players, they struggle with that. They struggle with the isolation of it, the having to go overseas in general, the language barrier. Sometimes it's difficult when you just you just want to hear English. And it's crazy to think, but it's just you're you're so like you're so submerged in another culture that like at a certain point I played in Russia for four years. I was like it, it just I learned some Russian, but at a certain point too, you just miss your culture. So it's it's a culture shock and it's it's different, but it's it's a necessary thing that you do as a WNBA player. Which was the place that you would regard as the most difficult? Because I imagine Russia would be pretty fundamentally emotionally cold. You would not fit there yeah. in any way. And that's crazy because Russia is one of my favorites. I would say Turkey is the most difficult for me. It's all about the personality. And it's crazy because different countries, I'm sure everyone, you know, thinks certain things about Americans, you know, that we're egotistical. We think about ourselves. We're arrogant. And for the most part, when you see how we live, it's true. And I think overseas, each area has a different type of personality. And it was difficult for me playing in Turkey just because there was ways that management would talk to us and I would just be like, this is crazy, but you got to understand that other cultures, men talk to women a certain way and it's normal. So even though we're like the pro athletes over there, men still feel like they can talk to you a certain way. And, and for me, I was just like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Like, so it, it was, it was difficult in that aspect for sure. I can't even imagine that one. You having, <laughs> you're a little bit too strong and, and, and what can you do, right? It, what can you possibly do? You're fighting cultural elements. You're fighting yeah. history. Like what do you do when you've got a job and they're allowed to talk to you that way because yeah. women are worth less. It's difficult. I left. So, I mean, just to be in full transparency, I left before the season was over because I just like I don't handle stuff like that very well. And so I understood that, you know, that may be the norm, but it's not my norm. And so it's the choice. You know, we choose where we play. And so I chose, you know, shouldn't just not be in that situation for myself. There's a lot of players that play there and they love it. They don't really care you know, about those type of things. And, and Turkey is one of the countries that does pay pretty well. But 
for me, I can't like certain things I just can't handle. And that that's one of them. Was that a difficult decision for you? Because athletes are so often taught never quit, but I don't imagine you have much trouble with self-respect. No, yeah, it's 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 difficult in a sense of like I'm one of those people that I like things to go with the flow. I don't like to go against the grain per se. I like to be like a one of the like a good soldier in a sense of on a team. So in that aspect, I felt bad leaving my teammates um, in a situation where I knew that I was a, a key piece of the team. But in the same breath, I was like, no, nah, I'm out. Like I can't. I just can't. I, like for me, just fundamentally, I can't handle that. Russia, you said you really enjoyed. So what did yeah. I get wrong there? Just because when I, I I just found the entire place to be fundamentally cold, like I, it was very yeah. difficult to connect with people. I don't, but if you had a good sports experience there, I imagine the fandom of the people enjoying you might yeah. provide something of a bubble. And so that's what, what you know about Russia is Russia is prideful and they're proud of their country. So if you come in and you respect them and you respect their culture, they're going to show you the same, you know? And so I always went to every country, like, you know, not laughing at things they said, you know, like, cause sometimes we're, we can think that our world is the only world. And so cultures are different. Like, you know, like I don't have a dryer overseas. I only have a washer. And so I had to hang things over the, it's a different culture, but I made sure never to highlight the things that, a European culture doesn't have that we do have. So I went in there with respect and they treated you the same way. They treat you like rock stars in Russia. It's actually crazy. You have a driver that uh, takes you everywhere. Even if it's like two o'clock in the morning, you got a craving, you want um, some McDonald's, the driver will come pick you up. Um, if we went to an, uh, a lounge one time, the driver will wait for you until you get out and take you. So it's a very upscale life. Like my my condo was pretty crazy. I was living nice. Okay. I was living really well. And, and it's basically like, if you do well for them, they're going to do well for you. And so for me, I give every situation, everything I have, and, and they respected it. Where did you learn the most? Where uh, along the playing stops? I would say, I think I learned the most in Russia because they, they move a certain way. They're very business oriented. They, if they say they're going to pay you on the 12th, they're going to pay you on the 12th, you know, and other countries, it's not like that. So what I learned is that you like, sometimes the check isn't, isn't necessarily worth it, you know, and in some countries. So Russia at a certain point, they hit a little down, a little down dip. And they, there were other countries that were paying comparable to them. Usually no one pays comparable to Russia. And even the top two teams like that, Diana Taurasi played on for years. Sue Bird played on for years right now. Brittany Griner plays for them. And, and Brianna Stewart plays for them right now. Those top teams, they're playing players millions of dollars, like literally millions. So you can't compete with those type of top teams. But the teams under that, other countries could. So one year I left Russia and I went to go play like in Turkey, because it was a comparable amount. But that's when I started to learn that every price tag is different. And so while Turkey was paying me a good amount, I, it wasn't worth it. I would have rather taken a lesser, lesser amount and play, played in Russia. Is there anything that you would have liked to know when you were 18 or 19 about that as a career path that you now know that you would like to go back and tell that person? Yeah, I would just, you know, for me, I'm a very like indoor private person. Um, so I would just say, and I say this at all aspects of it, I would just say to to see more, 
You know, like I, I get so locked in on things. It's like, all right, it, overseas, we have two practices a day normally. So that's a different culture lifestyle thing too. Cause in America, we usually just have one. So I would make my whole day about, all right, we have practice in the morning. I'm going to take a nap, eat. We have practice in the evening. And I would just make sure that I'm ready for practices instead of maybe going out, seeing the country more that I was in. So I would tell my younger self to just take it in a little bit more. Um, I get I like I get like locked in on the grind. Like I'm very disciplined. And so basically I would have told younger me to chill out a little bit. What was happening with small town you that longed for something different? I felt like I could do a lot more than what West Virginia could maybe offer me. You know, I'm, I'm living in West Virginia and I see, I see almost a window. I see like a ceiling and I'm like, I don't, I don't like that ceiling. And I think that there's bigger ceilings in other places. So I want to get other places with the bigger ceilings. That's kind of what my, my whole thought process was. I just felt like I could do more somewhere else. And so I have to figure out how do I get there? How did you end up in West Virginia? What's the backstory on your family and where it is that you ended up? How you ended up? Because you were around a whole lot of white people, correct? Yep. My snook is kind of like the, the short version of the Cliff Notes version is my snook's mom passed away and then her grandparents came to the funeral and they told my, my mom's dad that they were going to take my snook to ice cream and that they would be back. Well, obviously, as an adult, we understand that her grandparents realized that her dad wasn't necessarily the best of guys. And they basically at that time, it's not really kidnapping, but they took her and brought her to West Virginia and um, and, and raised her. And so that's where she was raised. Um, she was born in New Jersey, but she was raised in West Virginia. And then she's been there her, her whole life. So my mom and dad in both ended up going to the HBCU in West Virginia called West Virginia State University. That's where they met. And um, we've been there ever since. So I, I think also, too, while I'm talking about West Virginia and wanting to do bigger, I think West Virginia made me in a sense, too, of I had to learn to work hard. I, I had to understand that you like I have to figure out a way to make my own breaks. It's not going to just be given to me. So I think that's something that is the best thing that I have about me. And West Virginia got that. And what were the shapers there? What are the things that you look at? And beyond your parents and the discipline, what are you yeah. looking at in your environment that you say, those are the things very early that were formed in me that I carry preciously in, in adulthood? Like, I can remember having big games in high school, but I felt like nobody knew about it. You know, like nobody's checking for West Virginia newspaper to see who's killing it in West Virginia. So I just remember thinking, like, I have to go bigger. Like, I would have a game and there wouldn't be much buzz about it. So I'm like, OK, I got to do something more. And then when we would play AAU, um, we, we were really good, actually. And that's where people started to say, like, these West Virginia girls. And then we were like, finally, like, people are seeing us, okay? And so we started going on that AAU circuit, like the Nike tournaments. We started to get invited to, like, the big ones, the Nationals. Um, Candace Parker was playing on our team at a certain point because players wanted to end up playing with us. And that's when I started to feel like this is what I was, I was working towards. You know, I started to see... Like, okay, I, like, I always knew that if people got to see us, and when I say us, I had a great teammate, um, Alexis Hornbuckle. When, I, I, when people started to see us, I knew that they would understand that we could play, but I just felt like nobody was seeing us. You've had a lot of success, all-star champion in college, champion in the pros. What do you regard as your happiest basketball playing time? 
2009 championship with UConn because in college you only get four years, you know, or five if you redshirt. So college is like a limited sample. It's not like you can go back if you ever didn't get one. So when I won my senior year at UConn, it was like relief. I was ecstatic. I was like so many different emotions because even right now when I tell people like, they'd be like, where'd you go to school? I'd be like, UConn. They'd be like, oh, how many championships did you win? And I'm like, only one. But imagine if I didn't get that one, it would be like a nightmare. So my 2009 championship, it was just such a relief. And, and, and I was so happy to have it. Well, it sounds like not joy, though. Relief. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like yeah, there was a lot of stuff, though. Well, explain it to me. Explain to me the pressure of that, that it's winning. Uh, there's only uh, winning and misery. Yeah, there's only so it's like you work every season to win the championship and you remember if you didn't win it last year, you're trying to get it. If you won it last year, you're trying to protect it. So when you actually win the championship or you actually do what you wanted to do, it's like a, a sigh of relief. Like you can just let it out because you're so tense all year trying to get this goal. And then it's like, Whew, OK, we did it. And then. I'm already thinking about next year, let's do it again. Like, that's just how I function. So it's like, I, I'm while I'm happy about it, it's more of a relief because you're grinding so much. If you put your blood, sweat, and tears into something, it's like, it's a relief when you get it because it's not guaranteed. You can't, the best team doesn't always win. There's injuries. So in sports, it's there's so many factors that when you really get it, it's like, you just take a deep breath of like, you just let it out. What do you regard as the most pressurized situation you've played in? Um, the most pressurized situation, I'll say in the pros, it would be playing for the Minnesota Lynx because we were stacked and we had teams that we were, we went to LA, we, we played LA three years in a row in the finals. So it was pretty much us in LA. And that was a high pressure situation because for me, again, I usually put the pressure on myself. I didn't want to be the weakest link. I'm like, all right, our team is lit. Um, we need, like, we were a big vital part. I was coming off the bench at that time and we were a vital part of the team. You know, we were the bench mob. And so some nights, you know, our, our starters, if our starters didn't have it, I took it personally that I wanted the bench mob to be able to pick up our starters and do well. And so I think that year was crazy because I felt like all year we're always planning on, all right, when we meet LA in the finals, we can't do that or when we do this team well we can't do this and so it was high pressure because we were really really good you've described yourself as a private person and someone who goes with the flow but you spent yeah. 2020 doing something that publicly <laughs> did not go with the flow so can you explain just to the audience in the terms that you're comfortable with sort of what happened over the year 2020 in atlanta with you the yeah. dream the story because you became an owner i did you ever dream of becoming an owner of no. a franchise is that something <laughs> that you ever considered being no, I didn't. I always thought after basketball, I would be an entertainer in some aspect, whether it was broadcasting, hosting, like I just kind of always figured that was going to be my natural next progression. Um, ownership wasn't there, but for me, it was, that's why a lot of my family members, like they asked a lot of people around me when I opted out. And when I started to do what I do, they asked like my coach from Minnesota, they asked, are you surprised? And she was like, no, I'm not surprised at all. So while people weren't surprised because I've always tried to have a moral ground that I stood on. Like, you know, I always try to just do things a certain way and just handle myself a certain way. So a lot of people weren't surprised when 
I felt like I was doing what was right and I was taking that step. But the opting out, that shocked people. I, I think it shocked people because everyone, like the way I play, if you watch, if people talk about how I play, I love basketball. Like I'm one of those people that just love the sport, going to be around it my whole life. And so for me to separate myself from basketball while being healthy and able to play, yeah, that pretty much shocked like everyone around me. Um, and at the same time, it didn't because everyone around me, when they heard me say why, and I told people, look, I can't be halfway in. I Like I can't be halfway focused on basketball and then halfway like what is going on in Atlanta? I can't, I can't do both because I'm one of those, I told you I'm one of these people that I'm like focused. So knowing that I was like, I got to make a decision. I can't be half see half season. I thought it would be disrespectful to my coaching staff, to my teammates if I give them half of me. So I opted out so that I could just focus on what was on my heart and on my mind. And so when I told people that they're like, yeah, no, I get it because like I eat, sleep, breathe, whatever I'm into. And so you can't do both. How hard a decision was it? It was so hard. Um, and a lot of people think I just woke up and sent the tweet. I had been thinking about it for probably two weeks. You know, at the time I had talked to Snook and Diddy. I'm like telling them what I think. They said they support me either way, you know? So that was like, that was good. I talked to my fiance. She was like, look, everybody in my life basically told me they're here for me. I even talked to my head coach, uh, coach Nikki Collin, and I told her what I was thinking. And she was like, you know, as a coach, it sucks. But as just a human living and seeing what's going on here, um, like I respect it. So for me, once I kind of got that green light from everyone, it made me feel better about it because I don't really like letting my teammates or people down. And so when I figured everybody was like so supportive, I was a little bit shocked, um, but it gave me comfort in knowing like this, it felt right to me. And when everybody got it, it, it made me confirm that I think I'm doing the right thing. What were the specific triggers and influences? Was it something that built over time? I mean, it's crazy because I knew what black excellence was at a very young age because I told you my parents went to an HBCU. My sister ended up going to that HBCU. Um, very comfortable with the divine nine, the sorority fraternity life. Like I'm, I'm, I was emerged in that world. So I saw what that looked like. And then I also saw throughout my career just different things that was going on. But what really was, I would say, the 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 moment that I couldn't forget was when I we were all sitting still. You know, all my jobs were connected to sports. So I was supposed to be calling the women's NCAA tournament last year. That got canceled. I was supposed to be calling the NBA G League last year. That got canceled. So all of a sudden I went from booked and busy to like we're all sitting in the house quarantine, you know, and and I had to sit still. And I think that's what everybody talks about that moment where you're just still and just looking at what's going on. And that's what happened when George Floyd passed away. It was like, like we all knew it was bad, but when you see that, and I still haven't seen the whole video, but when you see it and you're sitting still, it doesn't sit well. And so that's, I think that's what really, and then there was an attention to it. You know, we were seeing different police videos left and right, and we were seeing all kinds of different things. And I'm like, we knew it was bad, but, now is a time where I feel like things had to change. It was like, it was at that pivotal moment. And so I wanted to be a part of it. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you see everything that happened, right, just in the specifics of Atlanta and Georgia, and I don't know where you identify regionally. You mentioned West Virginia having a tie to that. I don't know what your love of Atlanta looks like. But to see everything that's happened in America over the last year and the specifics, Renee, of you being able to climb to power with your voice in a way that is symbolic and moving and meaningful now, it must fill you with enormous pride to have seen that here too you are a champion you are someone who is at the very top because i've told you before the men were plenty active in terms of the social activism and plenty strong and plenty courageous but the women were even stronger and more courageous so i can't even imagine the pride you feel about what atlanta and what georgia did to america yeah no i it's it's hard to explain because even when i started I didn't know where I was going to go with it. You know, I just knew I wanted to be a part of it. I see what's going on and I'm like, I don't like it. Um, I think it's for me, everything I did, even when I won a championship, it's like, I always want to show my parents like what I did. I don't know. I have this thing where I want my parents. So my, my parents, when they come up here, I can't wait. You know, they've been quarantined because of the vaccine. Now they're fully vaccinated so they can move a little bit different. I can't wait for them to come up here. And I want them to see what's happened. Like, you know, there's, courts now with my my face on it there's like murals with my face on it it's it's honestly it's it's crazy to me it's humbling and i just like i can't wait for my parents to see it like that's my first thought like i want them to see what's happening here and i have a big love for atlanta you know i've lived here for nine years a lot of people don't know that um even when i was playing for minnesota playing for other teams i had already bought a house here in atlanta Um, And then I ended up moving down closer to the city. I was living in Marietta first and I moved closer to the city, but long story short, I've been here for nine years. So I have extreme pride. And that's why when I saw what was going on here in Atlanta, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you know, like I felt, I felt like I needed to defend it. I felt an attachment to it. So yeah, there's, it's humbling. And it's also just crazy sometimes to think about. What do you regard as the greatest difficulties over the last year or challenges that you weren't expecting? Because No matter what your conviction on some of these things, it seems like it can be hard, especially if you're saying that you're a private person who wants to go with the flow. Crazy. That's why I say all my family, I I think my whole family, they're just pretty like shocked. Like, I don't know how there's no other words I can tell you because I just really I like to be a good soldier in a sense of what do you need, coach? Got it. Like, I'm not going to really ask questions. I'm not going to go against what you're saying. I'm just I'm just going to roll with it. Um, but there's just certain things that, like I told you, if they don't fundamentally sit right with me, I can't handle it. And so I have very strong, like I told you, I have very strong convictions in a sense of, I like to stand on a certain type of thing and I didn't like what I was seeing. So yeah, I would say that I I have that type of, like, I like to go with the flow, but if something is really off, then I got to say something. 
Is there anything in ownership that has been a great deal more cumbersome than you expected? Because it sounds really nice. It yeah. sounds being the owner of a team sounds like, hey, that's that's great, but that requires a skill set. I don't know if you ever managed people or obviously as a point guard you did, you're managing yeah. egos, but I don't know if you ever imagined yourself as a manager of people. No, I never really saw myself in that role and having said that, everyone else saw me in that role. Even being a point guard or a captain of a basketball team, that's a lot because you're not just dealing with normal personalities. You're dealing with very confident people that believe in themselves, that have strong personalities, alpha males, alpha females, those type of personalities. That's the hardest type of environment to manage ever. So when I'm now in like the boardroom or the meetings, like it, it's honestly, it's easy. It's easier in a sense of people aren't going to like, if you say something to another athlete, they might bark back and look at you like, and what, you know, and that's just, that's athletes. And I'm like, no, chill. Like we got to just figure this out. Like y'all should, you know, you have to manage those and on the fly in sports. It's like, we got a five second huddle because of free throw. Two people are mad. We got to figure it out. We got to get the play and we got to get back out before the referee gives us a delay of game, you know? So it's like high pressure situations. When I'm doing different meetings or I'm talking to different people, now I'm just like, man, this is such a slower pace than sports, but I like it because it's still a team environment. So I'm like, I send my emails. I'm like, yo, what up, squad? Like, I start my emails like that. Like, I, I still bring me to the office. And for me, it's been, that's been the best part that I can do that. But the hard part is, you know, this is people's livelihoods and jobs. And when you might be a supervisor, those parts of it are difficult. When did you realize you were good at leading? I think I realized it in college. You know, Coach Ariyama, he made me realize it. He kept, when I was a freshman at UConn, um, we had seniors there and I felt like I, I felt like I needed to listen to them because they're older than me and they're, they're, you know, they've earned it. And so I remember, I'll never forget, Coach Ariyama had a very heated, long discussion about me about, when do I plan on being the leader that they've they've recruited, basically? And I was just like, whoa, like I thought that basically my freshman year, I kind of ride the wave. They lead the team and and next year or maybe afterwards, I'll earn my stripes. But basically, Coach Ariama was like, look, we brought you here because of what we saw. So don't lay down because you're younger or older. He was like, I don't care who leads the team, but we need a leader. And I was just like, I took that like serious. And so from that point on is where I'm like, if Coach Ariema that coaches at this historic school, UConn, sees me to be this great leader, well, then maybe I am a leader. You know, it was like, it was like this kind of thought process. And then from that point on, I moved a certain way. Philosophically, what are the challenges or difficulties in dealing with a bunch of alphas in having a team that is filled with ego? It's tough because you have to massage the ego while still doing constructive criticism. I think that like my whole being was about massaging the ego. So hyping them up, like, for example, I'd be like, look, you can make any shot. We all know that. But that last shot you took, maybe wait a little bit. Let the clock like let us move the ball around. But like you already know you're a bucket. So, you know, you have to get the constructive criticism in there while also making sure that they're like, well, you don't think I can make that shot? Like, no, nah, you can make that shot, but we could get a better shot, you know? So it's that dance you have to do of, I got to get this information to you, but I don't want you to be mad now for the rest of the game and not shooting or doing something crazy. So I would say philosophically, 
you have to learn the dance <laughs> and that's you have to learn how to talk to a superstar. You also have to sort of numb yourself to the idea of feelings somehow, don't you, yeah. within the team construct? <laughs> like that's not <laughs> that 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 part is yeah. challenging as well. Oh, I mean, I think I like and that's why I've even talked to you about this like off camera. I think that for me, I've I've always been easy with putting the we above me and it's very not pro athlete like people tell me all the time like you know my family would tell me all the time you know you could shoot more and i'm like well there was a better shot on this one you know i'll break it down to where like i need us to get the best shot even if i had five shots that game two points like i don't really i don't really care and so that's not good when it comes to getting individual accolades or anything of that nature but it, it became my strongest suit like coaches coaches like i would have my choice of where i wanted to go because people knew wherever you put me it's not going to mess up the locker room. It's only going to enhance it. Wherever you put me, it's going to be a certain thing. So my value became not necessarily that I was a good shooter, which people knew that I could shoot, but my value was in what can I bring? I could just fill in for whatever is needed. And and um, I, I kind of do that even now, like in the organization, like even being a co-owner and VP, I'm very open to listen to what people have to say. Like, I don't mind. Like, I'm very team oriented. And I think that that, like, People have already told me before, like, that's different for them. And I'm just like, okay, great. Like, you know, like, I'm happy that they like what's happening. Is there any job that you've had that doesn't seem easy compared to sports? Because I can, the, the amount of dedication getting to where you got requires when you're fighting yeah. other enormously talented people over <laughs> money, like you're, these the yeah. sports, it's just so hard to climb to the top of that. So I would imagine that you yeah. find any job after that to be easy no. by comparison. I really don't. And I, like, because you got to think about even to be an athlete, they put you through workouts that they purposely know that you shouldn't be able to complete. Like they want it to be so difficult because they want you to get to that breaking point to see if you can push through mentally. So when you're tested physically and mentally at the same time, I think that's like trial by fire. Like once you get through that, I think like I, there's no job that I don't think I can do now, even if it was a labor intensive job. I feel like I've built a certain mental toughness that like I have long days. I know you do, too. Like I have some really long days and I have like a heavy schedule every single day. Like you could start at 9 a.m. and Hawks games. I get home from my Hawks games at like 1 a.m. Sometimes if it's a West Coast game. Oh, my God. But for me, it's like I don't know. I have this mental toughness that even if I'm tired, I don't really care. Like I don't allow myself to be like, oh, I'm tired. I just be like, no, I'm good. Like you have to I just understand that aspect of you tell yourself what you are. Have you developed good chemistry with Dominique Wilkins and Vince Carter? <laughs> Were they welcoming to you from the very start? I love it because, you know, they're like superstars of superstars. Like they will be Hall of Famers in the record. Well, Dominique already is, but Vince Carter, we know he will. And they just come with so much pedigree. And so when we get on set and we're all just talking sports, I, I love that I think people can see that women's basketball, men's basketball, it's all the same. Like, we all have the same type of feeling. Like, when we be talking about something, we all like, oh, man, don't you hate when a player is this? And and I'll mess with them because, for instance, we were talking about shot blockers the other night. And Dominique and Vince was like, yeah, I mean, because if you're going against a shot blocker, you just got to go to the third floor and dunk on them. And I'm like, okay, everybody <laughs> can't go to the third floor. So I might have to shoot a little floater. I might have to go around them. I might have to hit them with a euro. But, you know, like we're we always bounce off each other. But it's fun because they be like, I respect that you got the touch. We don't got the touch. You know, like we play with each other. 
And for me, that's like, there's no better feeling because it's just a respect amongst athletes and respect amongst ballers. When you say mental toughness, what are the things that you look at and say, that was when it was most tough, that's when it was most tested. That's the place where I really got pushed to the extremes. I'm not just talking about sports, I'm talking about life. Well, usually my most extreme will be sports because that's that's been my life. And I would say it's, again, a long story, but in Seattle, I had gotten salmonella poisoning. And at that exact same time when I was not practicing with the team sick, I got traded to Minnesota and that was the 2015 year. So I walked into a dynasty situation of this superstar team and I'm really, really sick, you know, and, and I'm trying to just compete and make it. So I'm practicing in the morning with the team like normal. And then at nighttime, I'm running on the treadmill at the in the team facility, trying to build back up my stamina, trying to build back up my core. And it was it was tough because then I would go to practice the next day and I might look a little bit more tired than the coaches think I should. And they like, what's going on with you? You good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. You know, like I'm trying to get myself back. That was like the hardest year, I think, of my life because I had to get traded mid-season. That's not easy. I was sick. And it was a blessing that my Snook Diddy and aunties were visiting in Seattle at the same time. That And it's just a crazy story. But they packed up my house and put it in my car, basically, and shipped it to me and shipped my car to me in Minnesota. But we ended up winning the championship that year in Minnesota. And for me, that championship meant a lot more because... I had to get basically my body back in shape from where I was so sick that it just kind of just got wrecked. Your support system and your inner circle is pretty strong, huh? Oh, what? Like, if they weren't there, I have no doubt that, like, I could have called anybody in my inner circle and they would have came and packed up my house and sent it to me. Like, I couldn't I couldn't physically do it, um, but I, yeah, I have no doubt that, like, if I called them about anything right now, like, if I was like, hey, I need you guys to come up here like my sister would be like, all right, is everything okay? Like they would, like they would be so with it. Both of my sisters and and like I have, that's my strongest suit too. People always see me; they don't know that I have like a force behind me of educated people. You know, like very educated people like behind me helping me make decisions. Well, welcome to the family. Very thrilled, really, yes, to have you be, yeah, be a part of what it is that we're doing out here. So thank you for spending this time with us. I'll tell the audience more about what you'll be doing with us on the radio and stuff. But I'm really eager to start working with you and for our audience to get to know you and support the things you're about because you are very much about all the things that Metal Arc Media aspires to be about. So thank you, Renee, for making the time for us and thank you for making us a part of your life. And Dan, I got to say something. Thank you for reaching out because every content creator wants to be able to control their content and have some type of ownership over it. So I love what you're doing. You guys are doing. And this isn't a pay. This isn't no payola. I just wanted to say that because I think it's really dope. I've been very intentional about how I move, the contracts I sign. And so for me to to want to be a part of the family, it it. It, it means a lot because I, I take that serious. So I appreciate all the people over there, you, John, um, BMO, all of you guys, like for just bringing us in because, like I said, it's lit. South Beach Sessions, we in here. <laughs> Hi. Uh, Renee, thank you. I'm very eager <laughs> about what comes next for all of us. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo. The tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo. Now's a good time.
Trademarks owned by Beckley. SAB, the CV. Copyright 2024. Proximo. Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.